This is John Collins, and you're listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast. Hello, welcome to the Fulham Focus Podcast. My name's Matt Boisclair. The latest international break's over, and we pass the time with a quiz. And now it's back to business as Fulham take on Carlo Ancelotti's Everton at Cottage on Sunday lunchtime. Can the Whites get back to winning ways? Is Adam Ola Lutman forgiven? Here to look forward to the game are Danny and Don. Plus, we've got an in-focus chat about former Whites and Everton midfielder John Collins. Let's do it. Fulham. Right, lads. Well, first and foremost, Danny, have you enjoyed the international break? Yeah, I didn't really enjoy it, to be honest. Um, obviously, the way it ended for us before the international break was uh, was was quite an unfortunate event. And it's been hard just sitting on that and not being able to, to you know, go again and get over it very quickly. Uh, I don't really care for international football at the moment. I'm not really motivated by it. And the only game I watched was Scotland against Serbia, which was a good game. But but even that one had a, a, a bad effect on Fulham in the long run because, uh, you know, our, our man Mitro missed the, uh, the deciding penalty, which was a shame. But yeah, looking forward to the game on Saturday and getting back to Fulham. How about you, Don? How was it for you? Good break or, or just uh, a long break, given that we came off the back of that defeat? I'm the opposite of Danny, you know, uh, for international football right now, uh, I got to watch the Americans uh, play two matches over there in Europe, you know, one against Baldo's uh, Welsh team. And uh, we we did okay. It's a very young team. Uh, It's kind of exciting, actually, how young the team is. And we've got people like Robinson in there playing. So it's nice to see another Fulham player playing for the international team. So I've enjoyed it. Good stuff. Good good for you. I'm I'm glad you have. Let's get back to Fulham then. The result at West Ham was disappointing after the positive result and performance against West Brom. Despite what happened at the end of the game at West Ham, though, Danny, are you still in a positive frame of mind that we've turned a corner this season? Well, I think if you compare the results in our recent games to the ones at the start of the season, there's been a big transformation in how we approach uh, the games. The intensity levels are a lot higher um, and... I think we, we play with more purpose. We we play through the lines and we're a lot more positive with the ball. It's one thing to retain possession for 90 minutes and, and go nowhere, uh, but to have less of the ball and more of a, you know, a, a foothold in the actual game itself uh, is really key. And I feel that's what we do now. It's less about what how much of the ball we have. It's more what we do with the ball when we've got it. And, having the likes of Lookman in there, uh, Harrison Reed and Lamina coming back from injury to give us that protection in front of the back four that gives people like Kearney and Lookman and Gisa the freedom to push forward. It, it's coming together. And the only criticism I would have, con- constructive criticism that is, is that we don't create enough chances. And it's one thing to have good performances. It means nothing if you're going to get def- defeats at the end of it. Uh, points are, are what we need and we played well against Wolves away we lost we played well against Sheffield United away should have won we drew same again with the West Ham game lost you know that will catch up with us at the end of the season if we're not careful so 
We need to turn those results, them performances against the mid-table teams into good, um, solid points to complement the points we're getting against the likes of West Brom. Because beating West Brom on its own is, is not going to be enough. So we need to build on that. Danny, I would agree with you. Uh, my thing is, yes, we've, we've kind of turned a corner. We're, we're playing less possession football. We're getting a lot more out of what we do with the football. But I still want to see more direct attack, more more taking on players, stuff like that. And I still see us floundering in that last third. So there's still a lot of questions I'd like to get answered or, or a lot of things I'd like to see uh, change still in, in the way we play. But I do see a lot of good positives, you know, in, in how they're playing. I, I agree that, you know, at least we're not passing the ball back and sideways and everything for 90 minutes and, you know, not going anywhere, which I understand that philosophy. It, it worked okay in, in the championship because you've got more time in the ball. You're looking to suck them out. But when you start playing these Premier League teams, they're more organized. They're, they're going to be more concentrated about what they do. Uh, they're going to be, you know, ready for it. So I'm still thinking we've got to get better in that final third, way better in the final third. The problem you've got as well is that you've got to take advantage of the momentum that you create. And we did have a little bit of momentum off the back of that West Brom game. Hopefully that was just a blip um, because we deserved at least a point at West Ham and we should have got a point one way or another. But the more that starts to manifest and you play well but don't get the results, the more adrift you become at the bottom of the table and the less chance you've got of turning it around. And it, you end up just becoming also rounds. And we became also rounds last time, but in much less savoury circumstances because we were so crap. Whereas at least this time, there are little signs of light. Um, and hopefully we can capitalise on those. We we spoke a moment ago about um, having a, having some time after the, the West Ham game that we've spoken about to, to digest the result. How do you guys feel about Adam Ola-Lutman now? I mean... I was absolutely livid at the time. I was fuming. Things got thrown across the room. Had to uh, had to do a little repair job on the wall. I was I was so pissed off. And I don't mind admitting that on the night, I straight away said, I don't want him playing in the next game. He should be dropped. But having calmed down the next day and taking a more rational approach, I, I don't agree with that anymore. But I want to know what you guys think. Danny, what, what are your thoughts? You've You've probably got a strong opinion on this. Well, I think I'm a bit like you. Uh, that my opinions were a lot stronger at the time than they are now. I still believe in principles and, and the moral of, of of a team sport being about the team and not about an individual. And I do feel there's a little bit of double standards um, where if this had been Cavalero or Knockart, if he was still here, or I know Kamara's got history, but if it had been him, someone that we don't really need and you can take or leave him being in the team, I think there would have been a, a much bigger response to drop him and, and punish him. Because we need Lookman, and he's quite comfortably one of our better players, we're shooting ourselves in the foot if we do drop him. And for me, that's not right. That To me, that could be counterproductive because you're almost putting him on a pedestal as if to say, we'll forgive you because we need you. Uh, and it, you know, I can't help but feel that's probably why the penalty was taken in the way it was in the first place because it, it's got to come down to attitude rather than anything else because I, I'm not putting it down to his age. He's 23 years old. He's a, he's a grown man as far as I'm concerned. Um, it was a decision that he probably regrets now and 
hopefully, <laughs> I, I, I hope he doesn't get to take another one, if I'm honest. Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't feel comfortable with him taking another one. But I think Parker's decision is made easier because we've had a two-week break. There's not been a, a, a game that's come straight off the back of that where it was still in the heat at the moment and, he, he, you know, tempers would have still been higher. Uh, it's all calmed down now, and I'm sure over the course of the, the last two weeks, Parker's been man managing man managing him, and you know at the end of the day, what Parker decides to do, I'm fully on board with that because he knows the player better than we do, uh, and I think man management is a big part of football nowadays. I think it's you can't just go around throwing uh, fines and, and punishments at players because players react differently to it. So. It's a game against his former team uh, and looking at the way Everton play and where they're vulnerable, they're quite vulnerable down the flanks uh, defensively. So it would be shooting ourselves in the foot if he was to be dropped. So, no, I think, I think I'm think i over it as well. But it doesn't sit comfortably with me that this guy has been here five minutes and people were happy to forgive and forget. But if it had been someone that has been up and down, up and down with us and been with us a long time and done it, just because they're maybe not as good, they I don't I don't think they they would have been as sympathetic, and that doesn't sit right with me. You know, he's he's got to take the punishment the same as everyone else would. You are right, and to an extent, I agree with you. But you touched upon man management there, and how different players react to different situations. And if, if for me, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that I'm in any way any good at football whatsoever but if a person with my kind of character was in a football team and tried that and missed a Penenka penalty in the way that Lutman did and I was told that I was dropped then my reaction to that would be bloody hell I'm, I'm embarrassed I want to get back in that team I want to get myself back in that team on merit and I want to show the world what I can do but I kind of get the impression um, from from Lutman that he might be a bit of a sulker and I think to to drop him or to to fine him or anything like that would be counterproductive, as you said. And, you know, to do that, you might end up losing him for the season. His head might be gone and he might just think, well, sod this. I'm, I'm not I'm not um, pulling my finger out for this team or for this manager anymore. So we, we could just effectively lose him for the season. So draw a line under it. Forgive and forget. Never happens again. And let's hope that he carries on with, with the quality performances he's been putting in so far. What about you, Don? What would you do with, with Lutman? I think you both make really good points. Um, as far as how Lutman took the penalty, I, I think, yeah, it still does come down to his age. He, he's young. He's, you know, uh, full, full of, you know, energy and, and excitement. And he's, th- you know, it's all about attitude, as we want to say. You know, he's he, he's excited he's been playing very well you want that kind of person up front who's going to take chances going to take people on going to take shots on goal so I, I love his attitude as far as you know I've, I've got these abilities and and I'm going to show the world that I've got it and you know you you take it and you go on the peak penalty yeah he took it a little too far he was we I'd say you know uh, he's full of himself you know he, he's feeling vibrant thought he could take on the world do whatever he wanted he took the piss out of us he did but Understand what I'm saying as a, as a player, okay? This is where I know I'll upset Danny and different people, but as a player, he's he's got that excitement about him. You know, he, he wants to say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm this good, okay? And he wasn't, okay? He wasn't. And, and I think, like you said, 
he feels like shit now. And so I actually don't mind him stepping up to take the penalty, especially right now, you know, Metro, he just missed again, you know, uh, not by much, but he did miss and, and uh, knock, knock Serbia out. But as far as I'm concerned, I think he would step up and he'd bury it now. Cause he's going to show, Hey, yeah, I floundered that last time, but that ain't me. Okay. I am this good. So a, I don't mind him taking the penalty B I agree right now. I'm over it. Uh, I was mad and probably I was nowhere near as mad as you and Danny uh, at the whole thing, but I was, I was upset, very disappointed, but he is that good of a player that we've got to keep him in. Now I'm not saying that's the excuse why you keep him in. And so I think for Parker, he's got a hard man management decision to make right now. Do I punish this guy and show him, Hey, you got to be with the team or, or you're out and you got to support the team in every way that you can, every opportunity you get. Or do I say, okay, look, I know you feel like shit. It's time to move on. We really need you. It's time for you to step up, show them that you are the guy that's going to help us get at least into this league for the next season. So I personally, I keep them in the lineup, uh, especially just the combination of the left side right now, how dominant it is between him and Robinson, you know, uh, I don't think you can drop him personally, but that's my opinion. See, Don, for me, the, the thing that was irritating me the most over the last couple of weeks is the amount of people that said he's still young. He's 23. If I was to give you two examples, Ryan Sessignon at 16 years of age, Harvey Elliott at 16 years of age. If I had asked you to honestly say now in that position, would Ryan Sessignon at 16 have done that? Or would Harvey Elliott at 16 have done that? I think most Fulham fans would say there's no way on earth Ryan Sessignon would have attempted something like that in the 98th minute on a penalty. Yeah, he would have put the team first, whereas Harvey Elliott probably would have. So it doesn't come down to uh, the, their age. It comes down to their attitude. Uh, we've seen Sergio Ramos, who's a world-class player, World Cup winner, you know, one of the most senior players in the Spain squad attempt it in the international break. So for me, it doesn't come down to being naive. It comes down to being a bit arrogant. Uh, I can't stand that type of penalty. I, I don't think it, it's beneficial at all. Uh, it's just putting yourself at risk at, at missing it. Uh, and the only benefit is it makes you look good. Uh, the team get the same outcome. Whether you score uh, blasting it in the net or you score a Penenka, you, you still the team still get the same outcome from it. So the only benefit of doing a, that type of penalty is for yourself. And to do that in the 98th minute when you're a lone player and really it doesn't, it's not really relevant to you whether Fulham go down or not because you're not going to be here next year. I just think it was disrespectful to the players that have been up and down with us and, and stood by us for so long. I mean, I, I think the only thing I'm going to praise over the last couple of weeks is how the club have handled it. I think Scott Parker's interview in the heat at the moment was brilliant. Uh, Mitro, Kearney have come out and defended him. And I think the club have done really well to sort of like um, put the fire out and, and stay um, strong as a team. Because I'm sure they, they weren't really feeling that way at the time. They were pretty livid with him. But it didn't come out in the in the public eye. And that's how it should be. So I think we're in a strong place as a team. I hope he'll learn from it. And if he does play on Saturday, I think it will turn out to be a positive because he's a very good player. And I think he'll be really determined to, to put it right now. Uh, so who knows? This could be a blessing in disguise. And he could end up... I could see him going on to be our player of the season now. 
and really up his game to make it up to us. But he's, I'm not having it that he's too young. He's, he's a grown man. He should have known better and he needs to learn from it very quickly. Just really quickly, because I know Don wants to come in on, on this, um, but don't go sitting around waiting for the game on Saturday, mate, because it's on Sunday. Anyway, Don, <laughs> go for it. I don't know. I think that would have been funny, Danny, sitting there on Saturday morning excited to watch the game and <laughs> nothing uh, happens. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'll tell you, years and years ago, I, I've got a mate who turned up for a game on a Tuesday and wondered why the floodlights weren't on and he got the wrong day. <laughs> it was on the Wednesday. <laughs> hey, I, I do that all the time in America because of the time changes. I miss games because I think, oh, it's at this time. And all of a sudden I look back and it's like, shit, it's been on for the last hour and a half. So. Uh, real quick, Danny, because I, I want to move on to with with uh, Matt to other things. But on the age thing, I, I don't think it's so much an age thing as a maturity thing. Okay, and for me, what that what I mean by that is you can have people who are fifteen, sixteen years old, and they can take on all kinds of responsibility and handle it. Like a you know, a, 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 I'm I want to say a man, you know, uh, and other guys they they don't mature, you know until later on in life uh, or players, even for that matter, their formats, their styles, everything kind of changes, you know, uh, their attitudes change, you know, take a strong striker, for example, who scores goals left, right, left, right, you know, keeps the ball all the time, sometimes keeps the ball way too many times because he could have easily laid off a pass and, you know, let somebody else score. But as his game matures, all of a sudden he realizes, Hey, you know what? I am actually so good, I can lift other players up and we can win more games because I don't have to score all the goals. So for me, it's about, yeah, attitude, but it's also a maturity thing. And so even if you're 23, which I still consider to be very young, uh, maybe that's because I'm too old, but I still think it's it's an age thing and, and it is a maturity thing. I think he's taken this, hopefully, and he's going to use it as a way to help him mature and advance his game. But uh, in the end, we, we don't know. We won't know until we see him uh, do things later on in, in you know this season or hopefully in his career. So at any rate, I still think I'd let him take the PKs. Uh, if, if Metro's not going to step up, if uh, Tom's not going to step up, I, I don't know. Bobby, I guess, steps up then to, to take them. But I, I, I don't have a problem with him taking the PKs right now. So moving on. Go ahead, Frenchie. Well, hang on. Before, uh, before we move on, I've got a solution. Hey, All right. I think, I think I've listened to both of you and I think I'll come up with a solution. How about we drop him on Saturday and we start him on Sunday? That's a good idea. I like your style. I like I'm your okay style. with that. I'm okay with that. We can punish him. We can make him go out on the pitch, full, full kit, ready to play on Saturday and have him just stand there. Um, Danny, who, who takes the next penalty for you? Given that Mitro's confidence looked absolutely shot after missing again for Serbia. Are you any good? No, no chance, mate. I've got Toblerone toes, me. <laughs> um, oh, it's, it's such a, a dilemma. I mean, I've not known something like this for quite some time where there's actually no obvious choice. Um, I know Bobby Reed has scored five in five in his career, but that still doesn't. It, I, I'm not excited by that. It wouldn't fill me with confidence if he stepped up. Um, I, I think I would reluctantly give it back to Kenny. He's the captain. Uh, I think he's a confidence player. And although he's missed a couple in the past, uh, he actually scored a couple of really important ones in away games uh, when we was chasing down the playoffs. So. 
yeah, I, I think he's got all the attributes to be a good penalty taker. And it just comes down to confidence, I think, with him. Uh, and at the moment, he's in the form of his life. You know, the last few games really stepped it up. And yeah, I, I think I would go back to him. I think for me, I'd I'd go Ruben Loftus-Cheek if he was on the pitch at the moment. Um, but that, that's the problem. He's not on the pitch at the moment. So let's come on to the team that you guys would put out. Don, what what's, what would your starting lineup be for the Everton the Everton match on Sunday? Okay, just like in the past, uh, I think Scotty's got some hard decisions to make here. Um, number one, the right-hand side. Obviously, I think most fans would agree that's become the weakest link in, in our uh, whole game plan right now. So the question is, you know, who who's that guy out there on, on the right-hand side? It's been Bobby right now, and Bobby's style of play, for me, is a lot like uh, Musa Dembele used to be and let me explain why, or Ryan Session. I'm not saying that he is that kind of level of player. What I'm saying is he likes to drift around. You know, he likes to kind of float, and he likes to pop up and, and you know, create chances uh, for, for goals. And he's not the kind of guy who actually is collecting the ball and intercepting the ball and making those passes that make other things happen for other people. He, he's just generally not. And – Robin, uh, you know, uh, Loftus-Cheek, he, he actually does better in a more defensive game, it looks like. You know, he, he intercepts passes. He uh, does things to out of the back, you know, to make things happen going forward. What he isn't and what Bobby is, is he doesn't, you know, pop up in those unexpected places and score goals, you know, like Bobby has these last couple of games. So it's a hard decision. You know, who do you pick for this game? For me – I kind of lean towards uh, Loftus Cheek right now because if we're going to be more defensive minded going into the next couple of games, playing harder teams to score against, more teams that are going to be better organized. I know Everton has been falling lately, uh, you know, having a rough patch, but I still think they're a, a good team. Um, I I, I kind of drop Bobby right now. I know that's harsh, and I put Loftus Cheek back in. Now the other thing you've got to think about for me, and then I'm going to pass this off to Danny, is on the left hand side. Who plays that kind of holding midfielder, you know, that breaks up any of the attacks and, and helps the back four defense? And you've either got, you know, Harrison Reed or you've got Lamina. You know, you see, so you you got to make a hard decision there, okay? Those are two different types of players for me. Uh, Harrison is much more defensive-minded. You know, he, he's a little more going to hang back, you know, and break things up to me. L- Lamina is more kind of – he gets up into the attack. He kind of floats up there. And it's not a bad thing. You know, if we're playing the right teams like West Brom and and different ones, you want that. You want that guy who's going to be putting the pressure on and helping out of the back. I kind of go more towards Reed, Harrison Reed, for this particular game and the next couple games because I want a little more defensive-minded team. So that's me. Otherwise, I kind of think the the lineup starts itself right now. Don't you think so, Danny? You pretty much stick with the back four. I mean, are you going to really drop Metro? I don't think so. Tom plays in the center as always. You know, he's been doing a great job there as a number 10. So you got to leave it as is in my mind. So your big two questions are Harrison Reed, Lamina, or is it going to be Bobby versus, uh, you know, Loftus-Cheek? Yeah, for me, football's a simple game. And I think you look at the opposition and their style of play and where their strengths and weaknesses lie. Then you look at where yours are. Uh, and the tools available to you and and you make a decision based on how you're going to get the best out of your team without 
leaving your yourself exposed to to what they could punish you with. Uh, Everton are really strong in the midfield area. That most of their attacks build up through the middle, uh, and they have dangerous players like James Rodriguez and Richardson uh, on the break. Now they're very exposed when it comes to counter attacks. Now. If we was going to play someone like Lamina in the holding midfield role, he's not the kind of disciplined player that's going to sit back and and protect the defence. He's going to be pushing forward, trying to pen Everton in. Do we really want to pen Everton in and try and break down two banks of four? Really, what we need to be doing is playing Harrison Reed there, almost playing like the away team, letting them come come towards us. And then hitting them on the break with the likes of Anguissa and Kearney and Lookman uh, and, and getting in that space in, in behind their midfield. So for me, I would set up the same way we played against West Ham uh, uh, with Reed sitting there. And Loftus-Cheek, for me, could be a good impact sub to have because I think Anguissa tires toward the, towards the end of games. And, and I'd like to see Loftus-Cheek come on a bit earlier uh, and have, have more of a say in the game. Not sure I agree with you about Bobby Reid. Um, I, I think he has to play purely because there's no one else. Um, I, d- I don't feel comfortable with lost his cheek playing out there. And for me, Bobby Reid's work rate is important because I think you you did touch on the fact that we are quite vulnerable down the right-hand side. I think Ayina is certainly our weak link defensively. And I think it's going to be important for Bobby Reid to track back and protect him. But equally... In attack, Bobby Reed's the most likely to get in the box close to Mitro. And with Mitro's confidence so shot at the moment, I think we're going to need Bobby Reed to have a big game in both boxes, you know, uh, protecting Ayina and supporting Mitrovic. And if he plays plays a blinder, then I think we've got every chance of getting something from the game. I mean, all I heard then was that Aina is our weak link, link defensively, which is progress because it's been the centre-backs for the last couple of years. So at least we shifted the blame out right a little bit. Um, let's, let's, um, let's come back to this in a second. But first, I want to go to a chat that you and I had, Danny, recently about Fulham and Everton midfielder John Collins. So John Collins in focus. Fulham. Hello, it's the latest in our series of Player in Focus chats. Danny's with me this week to talk about former Fulham legend John Collins. How are you doing, Danny? Hello, hello, hello. How are you doing? You all right? Yeah, I'm always well, mate. I'm always well. Let's have a look at John Collins then. So he signed for Fulham at the age of 32 from Everton in 2000 for a fee of £2 million, following Sean Tigner to the club, having played for him previously at Monaco. We made some great signings around that time to improve the team, but John Collins was a household name who we knew to be quality. And having been linked with him for quite a while that summer, this was a really exciting one to get done. What are your memories of this time and how did you feel when we signed him? Well, it was just a roller coaster, wasn't it? It was just incredible times. And it was such an important role John Collins played for Fulham, knowing Tigana from his time at Monaco. But the way that the whole team bought into the way Tagana played. It was just the perfect balance. And obviously you had Sean Davis coming through as a youngster to play alongside pros like John Collins and, and Lee Clark. It just it was a, a really good environment for the club at the time and, and it's no surprise that we um just took the league by storm. We had a similar team the previous season under Paul Bracewell and finished about ninth, I think. Why quite missed the playoffs by quite some way. But 
just the little tweaks, and I, I say little tweaks. I mean, you can't call the signing of, of Louis Saha a little tweak, but just the odd addition. So Louis Saha, John Collins, Fabrice Fernandez for a few months. Um, and of course, Boa Morse signed on loan as well, although Boa Morse was, was used from the bench quite a bit at the beginning of that season before establishing himself. But then Tigana just really transformed those players who were already there as well, particularly the likes of Barry Hales. And like you say, everybody just bought into it. And we just became a, a, a force that season. And John Collins was at the heart of it. Well, I don't know if it's a model that clubs nowadays can look at and try and copy because it was a completely different time uh, football back then. Obviously, financial fair play would probably stop a team from being able to invest in the quality we had uh, in the third tier under Keegan. But you look at the team that, that he had and the team that Bracewell had, the likes of Mate Taylor, Brevitt, Coleman, Melville, Finnan. Lee Clark came in under Bracewell, didn't he? Obviously, Barry Howells was still here. You know, so many that went on to be part of our team that established ourselves in the Premier League. It was that foundation that Tigana built on. And without a foundation, I think you're always going to struggle to make it at the next level. And Tigana took what was a really strong structure and, and just added those little cherries on top to make it the perfect team. And adding the likes of John Collins in midfield and, and Louis Sahar and Barmore up front, it just took us to that next level. He's also not the sort of player that we'd entertain signing now because of his age. Yet, I know that it's all kind of money-driven these days and you need to think about signing players who can have a, a resale value, which is, you know, I've, I hate all that sort of stuff. But, you know, the game's run by businessmen, but we won't get into that. Um, but if a player's quality, a player's quality, and it doesn't matter whether he's 16 or whether he's 35, and John Collins was superb for us at, that, at the age that he was at. Yeah, and, and John Collins had come from Everton, who were quite a long ball team at the time. They had Duncan Ferguson up front and, and people like that. And I don't think they were using John to the best of his ability. So as soon as Tagana gets on the phone and says, I've got this project, do you fancy being part of it? At his age, it must have been a really appetising move coming to London, playing for a manager that you know plays breathtaking football and it's going to get the best out of you and obviously it's a level down so he was going to have a field day playing against championship midfielders and with his vision and his experience it just helped Louis Sahar settle into life at Fulham because he had such great service from the likes of John Collins. Yes well talking about service from John Collins to Louis Saha, John Collins time at Fulham got off to a flying start when he set up Sahar for his first goal for Fulham in his first game of the season at home to Crew, it was an inch-perfect lobbed pass from just inside his own half. Then John Collins got his first goal for Fulham at Birmingham City in the next game after just 42 seconds, and we absolutely ripped Birmingham to pieces that night when we found ourselves 3-0 up at half-time. He then scored a free kick in the next game at home to Stockport, and we were well on our way to winning our first 11 games of that season. Talk me through some of your memories of that time. I mean, what a pass. Inch perfect and, and obviously a great finish by Sahar. But that's what I mean about John Collins. For me, a good playmaker has more to his game than just passing it five yards to the side or back. They have the vision to be able to mix it up and they've got a wide range of passes in their game. And none more so than John. 
And yeah, he scored in that Birmingham game. That Birmingham game is obviously where we announced ourselves. Uh, I'm not sure people realised how good we were, but obviously that game was the second game of the season. It was on live on Sky and Birmingham were one of the favourites to go up. And, And Trevor Francis, I remember saying after the game that in his time at Birmingham to that point, Fulham were the best away performance he'd seen. And I think that showed you just how good we was. Well, we did, of course, go on to absolutely annihilate that division that season and were promoted with over 100 points for the second time in our dramatic rise under the chairmanship of Mohamed Al-Fayed. John Tigana's English wasn't brilliant, so I expect there was something of a dual role for John Collins that season, both on and off the pitch, as a quality footballer first and foremost, but perhaps as a translator too, as we know that he's a fluent French speaker. Yeah, and I think that made the signing of John Collins even more key. He was able to communicate that gap between Tagana and players and, and get his point across maybe better than he would have been able to without John there. And, and I just think that kind of player is just priceless, that experience. Where he'd done it at the top level for so long, uh, I think it was just a really big influence on the style of play and the rest of the team. We're in an era when we're crying for experience in the side these days and it's 55 games for Everton over two seasons, which were preceded by two seasons at Monaco and then six before that at Celtic too, meant that we had a player ready-made to continue his role in our midfield in the English top flight. And he played 34 games in our first season in the Premiership. What are your memories of that season? Well, it all started with that wonderful day at Old Trafford, didn't it? A fairy tale beginning. Couldn't have asked for a better opening game. And I think we tried to play good football. I think we went up with that confidence of believing we were good enough. I suppose a little bit like the way Wolves transitioned from the Championship to the Premier League. They went up knowing that they were good enough and that they were just going to take on everyone at their own game. And I think in the end, we finished 13th, which is pretty good effort, solid effort. And there were spells where... We didn't win a game for ages, but there were also spells where we really looked the part. And it was nice to finally get a season in the Premier League under our belts. And I thought we quickly established ourselves as one of the mid-table teams. I think for me that season, when we went up, it was a case of wondering how high we were going to finish rather than whether or not we were going to stay up. I felt like we were good enough and I wasn't worried. I didn't fear the Premier League. Moving on then, we won it one time on the 27th of August 2002 to be precise. That's right, the Intertoto Cup victory over Bologna when Inamoto scored a hat-trick at Loftus Road to fire us into Europe was a memorable night. John came off the bench that night with about 15 minutes to go. Although I think it's probably more memorable for us than it was for him, if I understand that rightly. When I asked him about it, when I did uh, an interview with him, he went, you sure? The Intertoto? I don't remember that. So, yeah, good old John. But I think that I think that shows you just what kind of standards he set himself in his career. That I, I bet Yunichi Yamamoto has a, a framed picture of himself on his wall. Yeah, someone like John Collins. It was just a Mickey Mouse competition. I've played him much higher than that. To be fair, you can't blame him for probably feeling that way about it. I suppose. I think even us Fulham fans. Uh, a tongue-in-cheek when we say we won it one time and it's sort of like a bit of a joke to us. 
Yeah, you're right. It's all very tongue-in-cheek. You know, don't ever say to a Fulham fan, what have you ever won? Because we've won the Intertoto Cup. So, you know, the record books don't lie. <laughs> um, when he left the club, do you think that we could have kept him on in some sort of coaching capacity, maybe? If I remember rightly, when he, I spoke to John in that interview, he said that the offer was there, that um, Tagana was quite happy to keep him on in a coaching role and I suppose take him on as like an apprentice. A bit like what Mikel Arteta did with Guardiola. And John said that he was quite happy to have a break from football. He'd been in the game a long time and he wanted to spend time with family and, and just recover before he made any decisions. And obviously, by the time he was ready to come back, Tagana had gone. It wasn't long after that Tagana had left and been replaced by Coleman. So I suppose it was an opportunity he just missed out on. All right, well, I want to talk about a, um, a John Collins moment that I can remember now. We were playing Arsenal in the Premiership in that first Premiership season of ours. And John Collins was in midfield and the, the ball came flying over John Collins' shoulder. Something that I've never seen before, certainly not from a Fulham player. Um, and it was almost like scorpion kick. He almost did that, but in a more controlled fashion, because when Hagita did it, he kind of scorpion kicked it and it went straight up in the air. But John Collins did it, middle of midfield, and controlled it so that it went to one of our players. Um, but one of the blokes that I was stood with just said, I've waited 40 years to see a Fulham player do something like that. It was superb, absolutely outstanding. And something that, you know, if, if you were going to see it from anybody, you probably would have expected it from one of the younger players. But for it to come from John Collins was just just amazing. It was, it was a great moment. Let's come on to rating his career out of 10 then. What are you going to give John Collins? I'm going to give him 7.5. I thought he was a very good player and, and certainly played his part in getting us to the Premier League and, and helped us establish ourselves there. But when I think about the real key players of that Tigana team, he wouldn't be the first that would come to mind. He offered that experience and that extra quality that we needed, but I felt he was just a steady, consistent player throughout. And there was never really a high or a low. It was just Mr. Reliable, if you like. So I would give him a very good 7.5. He was an outstanding player. I think I'm going to agree with you and say 7.5. And again, agree with you for your reasons as well. Just his consistency and reliability in that role in central midfield just really kept the team ticking and a privilege to watch him in a Fulham shirt. So yeah, 7.5 for me as well. Great stuff. Let's pass this back to the main show. Fulham. Right, chaps, Everton have had a mixed season so far. Carlo Ancelotti's side have surpassed a lot of people's expectations by winning their first four games of the season. They won away at Spurs, at home to West Brom, away at Palace and then at home to Brighton and fired themselves temporarily to the top of the league. But since the draw at home to Liverpool, they've suffered three successive defeats. Lads, how can we inflict a fourth successive defeat on the Toffees this Sunday lunchtime? Well, I think we we touched on it earlier that... Um... I think we should play like the away team and invite them onto us and hit them on the break. Um, I think it's going to be quite difficult to break break them down. And their midfield area is so strong that I feel it's it's vital that we win that midfield battle. 
for me, I, I wrote an article on on this uh, this week about how strong our midfield is and how we have the personnel the, to mix it up if plan A isn't working. Uh, it's really important that whatever combination Scott Parker picks, that he picks the right three from the off. Because we've seen ever since Scott Parker took the job that the first goal in our games is, is priceless. Uh, and I think it will be again in this game. So if we can somehow get ourselves in the lead, I think that will really play into our hands because we can. There's there's less emphasis on us to actually get up and support Mitrovic. It's more about being organised, compact, and then letting the likes of Lookman do his thing on the break. So it, yeah, I I think counter attacking has got to be the way forward and protecting our fullbacks because I still think defensively that's where we're most vulnerable at the moment. You know, I, I agree with Danny. I think next four fixtures are going to be really tough for us. You know, it, it's going to be some of the hardest fixtures coming up, I think, for, for the season. You know, you, you remaining this, this month, you've got Everton, then you got Leicester City starting in Jan, uh, December. You've got right into Manchester City and Liverpool. So next four, four fixtures, I agree. I think we've got to be more counter uh, – attacking hoping for something on the break so with that in mind going to we got to be a little more defensive minded well that's something actually that still bothers me uh, you know is defense and and the reason it bothers me is if let's go you know i hate to to go back to an old game but we'll go back two games here go back to west ham how they score their goal let's forget about the whole offsides kind of thing just throw that out okay uh, let's forget that you know that clearance of the header that was Anderson was forced to do was kind of weak. You know he just kind of put it out there uh, to get it out of the box. It wasn't even out of the box. What happened in that particular situation is what has been happening for years with Fulham and still has not been addressed in my mind properly. And that is these midfielders not just switching off and saying, "Oh, you know they got it, no problem," and, and backing away. It's it's we got to have these midfielders dropping in and defending for their life, especially in these next couple of games. If we're going to at least try and keep the scores to a decent, you know, low low level scores, or maybe even who knows, Everton get a zero zero draw or something, or one one draw or something. And what I mean by that is in the West Ham game, this is a prime example. You have two runners, one on the outside of the left hand side of the box, one in the middle of the box. They're making these runs, and nobody is tracking with them. You know, literally nobody is around them. So as the ball is floated in, you know, to the box and it's headed out, you've got one player who's able to collect it. He takes all his time in the world, looks across the box, finds somebody to make a nice square pass. He's unmarked, unchecked, and he's able to get the goal. That's got to stop. These midfield players have got to track back and they've got to start helping more in the defense. If we are going to do anything to be able to stay up this season, that's my one harp that has really got to change. So that's my rant. I think I think there's aspects of that I agree with, uh, but I do think in recent games we have improved a lot defensively, and it, we're not noticing it so much now because we're getting away with it because there's three teams below us after eight games played that still haven't won a game, so it makes everything seem rosy for us at the moment. But after these next four games, which we could quite easily lose all four, you'd you'd imagine we will be in the bottom three might even be bottom if the other teams finally you know take off. Um, and then all of a sudden, then we'll start reflecting on the penalty miss against West Ham, the penalty miss against uh, Sheffield United away, and, and all these little mistakes in the final third 
that have really cost us points. So I actually think it's the attack letting us down at the moment, not the defence. Uh, if you're only going to concede one goal away from home, I think you've done a pretty good job in the Premier League. Uh, we're just not doing enough to turn those performances into points. And Mitrovic is having a hard time of it. I don't think it's necessarily all his fault. He can't do it all. We've, we've put all our eggs in his basket for far too long. And it's time that the other players around him really started chipping in with goals uh, and getting us on the front foot. You know, you can't, you can't be going 1-0 down and then chasing games all the time. We need, to, we need to start being more clinical and killing off games. Uh, and, and until we do that, we're always going to be down the bottom somewhere. Uh, but I, I really do feel after these next four games, people's attitudes towards the points we've dropped might start changing. You know, at the moment, we're getting away with it. I'm not so sure that'll be the case after these four games. I want to say two things there, Danny. I want to say we, we've gotten away with it. I think it's already hurt us. And the reason I say that is unlike the championship where you have a, a ton of games, there are fewer games here, you know, so every game is more important in my mind in the Premier League because you just don't have as much time to make up for a lost point here or there. Uh, back to the defense. So for me, again, the back four, I think, that's gotten pretty solid. And I think that's what's saving our asses right now is, uh, you know, Anderson stepping in there, Robinson stepping in there, even Aina stepping in there. I think that's really become a lot more solid. I still think the midfield defending has got to improve a lot. And, and a lot of that goes down to communications. And what I mean by that is the match not long ago where Tom let the guy just run right on by, he just points to him and assumes somebody's going to pick him up. That can't happen. You got to go with that guy unless you see somebody else is there. As far as the attack, absolutely. We, we are definitely hurting in the attack, you know, and we have put all our eggs in, in one basket with Metro, and we're hoping that he's going to be the guy who's going to get, you know, 30 goals or whatever. So, yeah, something's got to happen better in the attack. I agree. But I, I do think that going into the Everton game, I don't think he – I think Metro's going to get frustrated. I think he's not going to get the service he wants, and it's going to have to be like you say – hope for a breakaway and that kind of thing. So we'll, we'll see what happens. All right, lads. Well, before we wrap up, I just want to have a quick rattle through the stats that Stato sent over. Fulham's record against Everton. Fulham have 20 wins and Everton have 30, with there being 13 draws. It's a bit of a bogey fixture for Fulham, this one. We've only won twice in the last 10 games against the Toffees. However, our home form against them is a lot stronger than the away form. And we, we had a long time at, at the start of the, the Premier League era when, when we used to trade blows by winning the home games and losing the away games until Everton buckled that trend. Our last victory against them was the last time we played them, though. We won 2-0 with goals from Babel and Tom Kearney in the last uh, Premier League campaign, our ill-fated Premier League campaign. Um, Everton's stats at a glance this season. Uh, they've managed away wins against Spurs and Palace so far. They've scored 16 goals. However, only four of those have come in away games. They've conceded 14 goals so far this season in their eight games. Um, and five of those have come in away games. So they're quite tight away from home. And they've been shipping a few at home. Um, they've both scored and conceded more goals in home games than away games. They've only kept one clean sheet so far, probably down to the erratic form of England goalkeeper Jordan Pickford. And that was in their first game of the season. So hopefully that bodes uh, holds us in good stead. 
Um, their key players this season, obviously, obviously Dominic Calvert-Lewin has, has been fantastic so far. Um, he's got eight goals in eight games this season and is scoring at international level as well. The James Rodriguez, who Danny mentioned earlier, follows um, uh, Carlo Ancelotti around everywhere he goes. Um, he's an attacking midfielder, and he's you know he's he's, he's excellent for them. So we really have to watch him. Um, somebody we're going to have to stick somebody on him to to give him a good kick early on and try and quieten him down. Um, Rich Allison's always a frustrating player. Alan, the Brazilian international um, workman of Everton's midfield, signed from Napoli over the summer. Um, Don, you you said before we started recording earlier that he took a knock when he was on international duty for Brazil. So there's a possibility that he won't be available for selection. And then, as I mentioned, Jordan Pickford, key player, but for the wrong reasons. Uh, he can't seem to get a game uh, where he doesn't make an error at the moment. And he was dropped for the, the match away at Newcastle, but then reinstated for the Manchester United game. So hopefully we'll have a couple of calamities out of him this weekend if we can't create something ourselves. All right, let's bring this to a close then, lads. I want to ask you for your score predictions. I'm going to come to you first, Don. I, I'm hoping, like you said, if you're reading the news lately, there's some bad news for Everton people. It sounds like not only Allen, but that uh, Coleman might actually have aggravated a knock. Re, re, yeah, Good. and it was during uh, some training, I guess, for the Ireland game. Uh, so he he could be a possibility out. So maybe maybe... Knock on wood here. Sorry, Everton. Fulham gets lucky. Some of their key players are out and their little hardships and their matches keeps going for us. And I'm hoping maybe we get a 0-0 or a 1-1 kind of draw. I'm really hoping we get at least a point. And I say that because, as Danny alluded to earlier, we've got to start getting the points where we can get them. It's really important. So if Everton are down right now, we, we hopefully we can kick them while they're down and get something out of this. Ah, oh, mate, a point isn't good enough from this one for me. Given the next three games after this, we're, we're going to need we're going to need three points from this at home. Two 0 Fulham, job done. What about you, Danny? Well, I think that's the situation we've created for ourselves, and that's what I was yep. saying a minute ago about the it wasn't good enough getting decent performances in against the mid-table teams away from home and coming away with nothing. Uh, it's going to catch up with us if we don't pull something out of the bag over these four games. I have to agree with Don. I think it's going to be a tough game. Uh, Everton aren't going to want to make it four games in a row uh, without without a, a win. So I think it'll be a 1-1 draw. Um, and to be honest with you, if we was to take one point from the next four games in isolation, you'd have to say it's not, not the worst return. Leicester away, you expect to lose. Man City away, you expect to lose. Liverpool, you expect to lose. So one point would actually be... a a half decent return against those four teams. But is it though? Because... Is it? No, I'm, well, I'm, we've, we've I'm, got to be beating Everton. Got to beat Everton. No, I think it is a decent point, but the fact that we are in the situation we're in because we didn't get a point against West Ham, we didn't beat Sheffield United and we lost to Villa, you know, we, we lose into all these teams. We lost to Leeds away and then all of a sudden it gets to a point where you think, well, we're eight games in, now we have to beat Everton to, to put it right. But so, it's always it's always a winnable game, and I think you've got to go well, into your winnable games thinking we've got to win this, rather than oh well, a point would be an all right result. It would be an all right result, but nothing more. We need a good result. I think I'm just being realistic. Yeah. Um, I, I think it. I don't think it would be a bad point. Uh, but 
I think it's the same with, with all games. You know, even if you're playing, I mean, Chelsea, uh, West Brom drew with Chelsea earlier in the season at home. Yeah. And, you know, at the start of the season, you would say take that all day long, a point against mm. Chelsea. But they were 3-0 up at half-time. That must have felt like a defeat. So I think it's hard to say at this stage um, how, uh, you know, what's going to be a good result. I think you need to see how the game um, pans out. Because if we're 2-0 down after five minutes, you take a point in them, wouldn't you? So, of course you would. Of course you would. But yeah, before I, the game, it's it's a little bit small club mentality to say, oh, it'll be a good, good result against well, Everton well, to get a point. I think well, so. Before the last two games that they've lost uh, to Newcastle and whoever the other one was, can't remember the other team was, I had them as finishing in the top four. So I think they're a really, really good team. And they're just going through a poor blip at the minute. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm hoping for a point. Of course, I'm hoping for a win. But realistically, I think a point wouldn't be the worst result in the world. You know, I just want to step in real quick, and this is where I need you guys. Uh, your memory of games, matches, years, uh, seasons is much better than mine. In years gone by, Fulham was known as a fortress at the cottage. You know, we we beat teams like Liverpool. You know, when people and Manchester United, when people didn't think we could, but at the cottage we were a fortress because the fans were in the stands. And I've read an article. I wish I could refer to this article. Uh, a while back is a really good article about how the lockdown affects the players uh, style of playing and, and their game. And what I key thing I want to point, point out from this article was as the game wears on and gets into the second half and everything, players start losing their concentration. Well, when the, you're at home and the fans are screaming and they're cheering you on and they're te- saying different things, you know, your, your concentration is there more. You're, you're more still into the game versus they're not there right now. So even with this bogus, bs i don't know at least they put it on here in the states you can hear some fan noise in the background supposedly cheering and saying fulham and stuff it's not the same so i think my point is you can't consider a home game really a home game anymore to me yeah they're playing at the cottage but it's not the same they don't have the fans there helping them cheer them on so away or home i think you got to look at every match almost the same it's 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 not going to be oh my god we're a fortress because we're at the cottage anymore i think that's not going to happen until fans return so so what what you're saying is that the cottage is no longer a fortress and we're going to struggle to win at home because of it but we're still <laughs> we're still probably going to struggle to win away from home as well well, well I, I hope everybody can understand what i'm saying what yeah, i mean okay. is danny's actually right i it, it, i think he's hit the nail on the head we've got to be realistic okay you get one point out of the next four games to me that's really awesome uh, you know, even though, again, Liverpool's playing at the cottage, uh, I believe that's that's it's home away, away home. It's not the same to me for the players. You know, what I mean is they don't have the support. They they don't have the, the everybody there to cheer them on and, and, you know, to give them the support to keep going. So for me, I, I, I don't want to be mean and say, no, the cottage isn't a fortress anymore. But until the fans get back in the stands. It's a different match. It's a different game. I just think that one point from the next four games, and we've had it personally. No, Again, I, see, I disagree. Cause, cause like, where are, they, the where are the points lower, coming from then? Where are the points the coming teams, from? Well, I think over Christmas, we played Brighton a couple of times, uh, and we, we play a few teams like that. And, and they're the games that we're really going to have to win. We've put ourselves in a position where them, them six pointers are must win games. 
which is why I was so disappointed with the 1-1 draw away to Sheffield United. I think we really missed a trick there. Everyone was saying we turned a cool nice, our first point. But for me, it, it felt like a loss. Uh, let yeah. them off the hook. And if we're going to stay up, I think it's going to be at the expense of the bottom three at the moment. I do think it's it's a four and a half race um, battle for, for the relegation places. Uh, I say half because Brighton, I, I put sort of in that bracket. But I do think it's going to be three from the bottom four. Uh, and there's every chance those teams will lose their next four games. I don't know who they're playing, but at some point they're going to have to play each other and, and they are going to start picking up points. So we can't, you know what? Sit, here, we can't in- sit here and pretend that if we, we, we might play well against Everton, like we did against West Ham and and Wolves and still not still lose. That That's a very big possibility. And we need to stop that happening. So for me, a, a draw wouldn't be a terrible result. You know, these, these four games take us right up until Christmas. And then we've got, I think, Tottenham away in between Christmas and New Year. And then we've got a massive game. Our first game of the new year is away at Burnley. And you know what will happen there because it always does. And they're one of those teams that haven't won yet. So yeah, I, but, I just, but, but I, I'm just, I'm just nervous. I'm, I'm, I'm just nervous. Um, yeah, but come on, I'm, just, I'm just nervous, worrying about where the points are going to come from at the moment. And I think the home games against teams um, that aren't Man City, Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal, we've got to be beating them. But that's just, that's just me. Well, listen, we're, we're Fulham, right? We have waited all this time to beat Burnley and Everton at Turf Moor and Goodison Park. You yeah. know it's going to happen the year when none of us are there to see it. So I hope so. I really hope you're right, mate. I really do. But I mean, listen, I don't. I don't want to come across negative. I I totally agree with you that we need to start turning these games into wins. Uh, but for me, it's it's kind of a, li- a little bit of playing catch up now. To say that at home to Everton, I think is quite a big demand. Uh, I think they're a really good team. Really. You should have been saying we should have been saying that last week against Ever- uh, West Ham, that that was a must-win game, or that you know de- them kind of teams aren't as good as Everton, and it just yeah, I-, I think it's a big ask. But given the three games that follow it, I think we've put ourselves in a position where we have to try and win it, and it will be a massive three points if we do. All right, let's leave it there then. That's your lot for this week, folks. J-Matt will be back on Monday morning, joined by yours truly and the return of a former Fulham Focus favourite, all things being equal for all of the Everton fallout. Danny, Don, it's been a pleasure as always. Thanks for listening, folks, and see you all soon. Cheers.